0: this morning is from Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 I should remember to introduce myself I'm Nathan Thomas I'm the assistant pastor here at Westminster welcome and happy Father's Day to all the fathers and father figures and for those of you who are finding this day a little a little saddened uh, we are prayers pray our prayers are for you as well you um, But our our passage uh, doesn't actually have anything to do with Father's Day. Uh, But we are continuing our series with Navigating the Church. And so let us dive right in. I'm starting in Philippians 3, uh, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord. My beloved, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit carries this morning that he uses the word to convict our hearts, to build our faith, that we may grow in grace and Lord, I pray if I preach anything false or untrue, that they fall upon deaf ears. Amen. I thought I might give a little bit of my testimony this morning. We have a Sunday school class where we have uh, different members of the congregation sharing their testimony. Charles, thank you for sharing this morning. Uh, Next week, Bunny's going to share. So that will be marvelous. Looking forward to hearing from Bunny. But I am going to share a little bit of mine before we dive into the sermon proper. Because I want to... Because one of the big reasons I'm here today is because of the ministry and prayers of this church. And I don't mean just the past five months, which is true. I'm very much thankful for the ministry and prayers of this church to me in the past five months. But I'm not sure how many of you actually know, I grew up in this church. I started coming to Westminster in fifth grade. The pastor was our next-door neighbor. He invited us, and to be neighborly, like any good neighbors, we came and we stayed. I was a part of the youth. One of my closest friends then is my closest friend now. Um... I remember the communist class with John Ropp, which is in now, what is now Stewart's office, and asking me if I had ever prayed about Jesus being in my heart. I also remember thinking, I thought Jesus was already there. Why would I make that prayer? Uh, but the, my school years here were very formative to my faith. And I was ministered to by a variety of people within this church. John Olry helped out with the youth back then. Uh, we need to get you back in. <laughs> Come back and help out with the middle schoolers. they'll be wonderful. He poured into me, but it, he wasn't the only one who poured into me. The Bowman specifically prayed for me and asked how I was doing week after week. Gifford Shaw helped out with the youth. He played video games with me. And cards on the table, he beat me the one time we played Madden together. But there was a variety of people. It wasn't just whoever was our youth pastor at the time. Uh, there was Arlen Brady, who helped me discern my spiritual gifts and how I can help serve the church. There was Tim Klein and Adam Little, uh, both in the Air Force, who loved to play Risk and talk about presuppositional apologetics, which I was learning in eighth grade, I believe. There was Paul Kendall, who was full go all the time. Robin Kendall, who loved to be involved. and would strike up a conversation and build relationships with everyone. And so many others. There's Rob Cox, who really impressed the importance of Scripture upon me, and my parents, who were faithful in their convictions and raising me up in the Word. But it, just, it wasn't just them, there was, there was a quite a bit of help, and they needed help, because back then, I wasn't known for the laser focus that I have now. Is the church that raised me in my faith? That is my testimony. A heavy reliance on the church growing in the Lord. And that is good because especially when I was younger and even now the world is confusing. It's difficult to navigate. It can be. And life is confusing. And we need each other to navigate it. That's that's our main focus this morning. Life is confusing, and we need each other to navigate. So we're in Philippians this morning, and now that you have some background on me, I'd like to give some background on the letter. The reason I do this, I know I did it a little bit last week, with the passage we used last week, is because I think it helps put a framework in what Paul is writing. It helps us understand where Paul is coming from. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to the Philippians. uh, And he's writing from jail, which is not really all that uncommon for Paul. Matter of fact, he was in jail while he was planting the church of Philippi. So they would be like, oh, yes, Paul is in jail. Philippians is in the church, city of Philippi, which is a city in ancient Greece. And what's great about this church, we don't know a ton, but we do know that they hear that Paul's in jail and they sent him a very generous gift to help his predicament. Because they care. They care about Paul and they know he needed help they also provided news of the church and he writes a response and it's a fascinating letter he gets he's excited to be where he is he's excited to be in Jesus he's excited for the opportunities to share the gospel he's excited for the church of Philippi it's just filled with this idea of joy in Christ they does share some concerns, and that's very understandable. Because Paul, along with Silas and Timothy, they planted this church. They started this small garden of faith in Philippi. And it wasn't just those three. There was very much a team dynamic. We can safely assume that Luke was there. He mentions Clement, he mentions Syntyche and Euodia, but he also says several others. There's Lydia, whose conversion happened in Philippi. You, it's an amazing story how this church got started. It's in Acts 16, you should read about it. It's a very short, but it's got incredible conversions, some amazing and generous hospitality. Demon exorcisms, exorcisms. If that's something you're fascinated with, if you want to see uh, Christ conquering those who would oppose him, it has non-jailbreaks, which is a little hard for me to explain here. But that's what happens. It's really fascinating. Take three minutes, Act 16. Wonderful story. But the thing we need to understand, the what I really want to pull away from it this morning when he does leave when paul leaves to continue on his missionary journey the church doesn't fall apart it does not scatter does not collapse no it continues in faith even when paul lee when paul leaves he goes and he visits lydia he the brothers he visits the people in the church And connecting some dots, I know I'm making some assumptions here, but they continue to exist as a church and are generous. Because the church is never a one-man show. It is a group, it is a collective, and we can see that in the address of the letter... Itself, the way Paul addresses this church, it's not to a singular pastor. He's not as his letters to Timothy or Titus, but instead uh, he writes Paul and Timothy. They're the ones who send the letters to all the saints, overseers, and deacons. All the saints in Christ Jesus who are at the church in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Paul writes the letter with the assumption and with the knowledge assumption. He's writing to a body of believers. It's not to individuals. It's not a letter to just Luke or to Clement. But a body of believers, the whole collective, the church, should hear for the, the wisdom that the Spirit has imparted to him. That is, the community needs one another. And that, yes, we have overseers and deacons who have specific responsibilities to which they are called. But the word is for the body, the health of the church. It doesn't fall solely on the pastor, solely on the elders or the deacons. No, the health of the church, the care, falls on the people in the church to share one another's burdens and to love one another. The care of the church belongs to the whole body of the church. And this idea of a collective working together, being with one another in Christ Jesus the Lord, is essential in understanding this passage this morning. As Paul begins in verse 17 of chapter 3, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. Now this is a very clear call to discipleship. A call to set our eyes on those who are like Paul, Paul himself, and those who are like him. Now that's a bit different from only hearing, or only learning and growing faith by Teaching and hearing. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of teaching and learning and hearing the word. We're Presbyterian, that's been a hallmark of Presbyterianism for uh, 400 years. It's been a strong tradition within our church. It's something we've upheld well, and we have plenty of great teachers in our congregation. teaching and hearing is good it is great and there's a blessing in that but i also could come up with the most eloquent of sermons but if it's not followed up with love loving one another and having building relationships with one another and walking in faith together and learning by sight, and following by example, then the teaching and the hearing of the word, that's far less likely to take root, to grow and prosper. When we invite each other into our lives, when we invite our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we welcome them, And we go to others. That's when we really begin to grow. Paul's not just saying, listen to my words. There are times, as I remember the teaching I brought to you, there are times he says that in his, his letters. But he's also saying, follow my example. Follow the examples Timothy and I have set For you. For Paul didn't just teach the people in Philippi and leave. No, he lived with them. And this is what discipleship is. It's how we pass on our faith to the next generation. We invite younger believers to come alongside of us. So they don't just hear from us. but they see, they see the ways that we take. They see the actions to see how we practice living out our faith. That's, that's good. That's, that's how we grow in faith. Whether you're pouring out or having your cup filled, that is the way we become stronger believers. We raise those, build them up to glory in the Lord. In my years, I've seen it time and time again. One of the clearest examples I couldn't get out of my head this week was my brother, who also was a big part of this, uh, the church was a big part of his life. But in particular, when Ben first, my brother is also uh, a pastor, and when he first started getting into ministry, I remember watching his first sermons. And his sermon structure and his movements on stage were almost identical to our campus minister at Appalachian State. And it was really funny to see see, because Justin Kendrick, the campus minister... I would always emphasize with, like this, with a curled wrist. I don't know why, but this is how Justin would emphasize things. He would bring, and then all of a sudden, my brother, who never did this, would hold scriptures and make a point, and his wrist would be curled. And he would walk back and go like this, just like Justin. I thought it was hilarious. As I've gotten wiser, I've seen how good it is. Because Justin walked alongside Ben. He, he came alongside my brother. Helped him understand the gospel and what it means to live out the gospel. And I'm thankful for Justin. Not just for my bro- what he did in my brother's life, but what he did in my life. Justin poured into Ben major reason he's a pastor to get today and as you're trying to navigate this world to navigate this culture i ask you who's coming alongside you who's pouring into you who's showing you to, how to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, who's demonstrating their faith, who's demonstrating what faith looks like, especially for our saints who have matured in their faith, who have moved, as Paul wrote, past spiritual milk. Who are you setting setting aside your time for? Who are you going out of your way for? How are you making sure that your brothers and sisters in Christ are abounding in the grace that Christ has given them? that they're just not verbalizing things that would be pleasing to the Lord, but living in a manner that glorifies God and finds joy in the love that He has for His people. Is this a priority in your life? Is this something that you are looking to do? It is a part of our Christian faith. I had a student who graduated a few years ago. In her senior year, she looked at me. She goes, I have plenty of Pauls in my life. I need some Timothys. And that's just a magnificent way to put it. I told her I was stealing it, and I have, many times. And we looked for ways to help her pour out into others. And she did a tremendous job, and she still is. We need one another. We need, yes, we need our cups filled. We need people in our lives. We also need to be pouring out. Those who are new to Jesus, only beginning to understand the gospel, those who are young in their faith. They need you. Desperately. We all need people. Pouring into us. I'm ordained as a minister. I need help. I need people in my life. Pouring into me. It's how Christ designed the church. That we should come alongside one another. Like... Bricks stacked against each other, building a building. We should support and uphold one another. It's a part of who we are as believers. It's ingrained in the church. It's part of the vows we take. Last month, we had the glorious baptism of Adeline Conley. It's so exciting to see. It was a marvelous, marvelous event, and so joyful. But at one point, Stuart turns to the congregation. And he does this with each and every baptism. And he asks this vow to the congregation. Do you as a congregation? As a whole undertake the responsibilities of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child. We take this vow because we need to acknowledge our need for each other. We need to acknowledge we need one another to help nurture one another's faith. We need each other in building up our lives. And it it doesn't stop at any particular point. Yes. We want to be there for our covenant children. We have needs in this church to help with our covenant children. I know we need more volunteers for children's church and for Sunday school. so that the Sunday school teachers can go on rotation so that they can go to different classes to have their cups filled while they continue to pour out into our covenant children. There are several Bible studies we could use more volunteers with and youth ministry and children's ministry. But it just isn't... Doesn't stop once students graduate. And if I'm being honest, that has been one of the weaknesses of our church. Students will graduate when they turn 18 or so, and all of a sudden, well, you're an adult now, go swim. Like, whoa. Throughout our entire lives. We need people in our lives. We need Christians. We need one another pouring into us to come alongside us. At no point should we look at one and be like, you got this, you can do it alone. No! We are united together. Because as Paul reminds us in this passage, our, citizen, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As I pointed out last week, referencing John 17. Jesus tells us we are a part of the world, but we're not of the world. Yes, the world is confusing. Our culture is confusing. It's not ours. I don't know if we should expect it to be anything less than confusing. Because our citizenship is in Christ. Our kingdom is with Jesus with, as our king. That's not to say we can't function in the world. it's it not even to say we can't redeem parts of it. Or that it's all bad. But the things of this world, it's not what brings us together. It is, it is Christ. And he has given us, he has given his people, a kingdom, and a ruler who will not fade or go away or be kicked out of office. He has given us a kingdom that is eternal, a citizenship, a family that is united and is for one another. That will not end. And we're not called to go it alone. We're not called to be lone wolves. Even our missionaries, we send, are sent with the prayers and the support of the church. Paul is longing for unity within the body of the church of Philippa. For the members to help and aid one another. Because that's part of what the church is. A body of believers that helps and aids one another. Indeed, as we see, as we get into the two ladies that are mentioned, uh, Paul is appealing to a true companion here. Because there's a serious issue at play. There's something that is causing division with the church and two people that should be helping one another or disagreeing with each other. Let us go back in this passage. I entreat you, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored alongside with me. In other words, help these women who have labored alongside each other And the gospel together with Clement, Clement, the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now we don't know a ton about these uh, ladies. We don't know a ton about these women. This is the only time they're mentioned in scriptures. But from this one verse, we can take away that they've done great things for the Lord, that they have served served with each other side by side. We can assume that Paul has poured into them, and if they helped build the church of Philippi, that they poured into others. They're very dear to the apostle. So dear that he's asking someone, this. True companion, and and we can only guess who it is, but he's asking this true companion, get involved. Please, help them. No, we don't know why their relationship is fractured. We don't know what is causing the tension. But Paul is calling for the aid of someone in the church to help mediate someone who in Christ in the name of the Lord help settle this dispute that is causing harm there is a longing for unity a longing for the brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside and help one another This is what we're to do. This is what Paul calls the church of Philippi to do. This is what we are to do. We are called by Christ to be involved in one another's lives. To nourish one another's faith. Now I know we have some very private individuals here. So we all have been given gifts from the Lord to serve His kingdom, to fulfill our role as citizens in His heavenly in this heavenly citizenship, to bear one another's burdens. So love one another. Use your gifts. Show hospitality to one another. Use the grace God has given to you and poured into others. I promise you will not run out of the grace of Christ. Fill each other's cup. Come to the aid of your brothers and sisters in need. And on the flip side, do not strive to go alone. Be willing to share your burdens and your need and your prayer requests with others. Let people pray for you. Encourage people to pray for you. Encourage people to come alongside you. Life is confusing and difficult. But part of the good news of Jesus is we do not have to go through it alone. We're not called to be lone wolves. We're not called to walk through this life by ourselves. But we're given this great community to love one another. we are encouraged and exhorted time and time again to edify each other, to build one another, to, yes, teach in the Word, and to show and demonstrate faith and love, grace, hope and hospitality, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, joy. We need each other. So let us help each other in every opportunity that Christ has given. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you. We need the Spirit in our lives. We need the grace of the Lord and we need one another. Let us see that need. Grant us the humility and openness to share the needs that we have. And grant us the grace and encouragement and perseverance to share. And help bear one another's burdens to help those in need. And it is in the name of Christ Jesus that we ask these things. Amen.